Hi, I'm Miss Tyler, and welcome to another episode of Context for Kids, where I teach you guys stuff most adults don't even know. This is your first time hearing, or if you've missed anything, you can find all past episodes archived at contextforkids.podbean.com, which has them downloadable, or at contextforkids.com, where I have transcripts for readers, or on my Context for Kids YouTube channel. And this is episode 57, Nimrod, the man, the myths, and the legends. And this is going to be so different. Last week I showed you what the Bible actually says about Nimrod, which isn't a whole lot, but more than a lot of people pick up because of all the references to kings and empires that we find from, you know, we find in art from ancient Assyria where he lived. Nimrod, we found out, was a powerful hunter which is what they called their kings because one of the jobs of the kings was to hunt lions who were very dangerous and who would attack travelers in in their packs, okay? So we looked at the different cities he was involved with and some others that he built, plus the canals and all that. Nimrod would have been a very powerful king to get all that done. And, you know, as First Chronicles 1.10 tells us, he was the first to become a really great warrior on the earth. So when we look at the great empires of history, and by great, I mean big and violent because you don't get to have an empire without a lot of fighting. Well, the Bible says that it all began with Nimrod. We'll read about some of the greatest empires in history as we read through the Bible. The Egyptian Empire, the Assyrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Greeks under Alexander the Great, and the Roman Empire. They were all able to conquer, which means to win the land through war, large territories, and many different people, you know, and, and rule over them all. Now, Hitler thought he could do it, too, and we are so glad that that didn't work. This week, we're going to look at the fictional stories that people have written about Nimrod, because you will probably hear them. And they cause a lot of problems, and people fight about it, because... They believe the stories are real history and they don't understand that they were made up and, and why the people made those stories up. And honestly, they hurt the way we read the Bible in a lot of ways if we think they're true. Parents, I'm going to link a really, really important article in the transcript um, by Corel Vandertorn. In the transcript for this, if you want to know my main source, but it is very scholarly, and so I'm going to translate it into what I call normal people language. You know, he is a world expert, and I have a book by him that is three inches thick on this sort of thing. He is a total brainiac. But now the fun starts. You guys know, if you listened last week, that Nimrod only shows up three times in the Bible. Once in Genesis 10, again in 1 Chronicles 1.10, and in Malachi 5.6. And not much gets said. He doesn't even show up in the Tower of Babel chapter, even though there are a lot of people who put him there. And maybe he was there, but we don't know for sure. But when the Bible says almost nothing about a person, people love to fill in the blanks with creative stories. And it might surprise you all the really different opinions that people had that they wrote down over the last 2,000 years. There isn't just one story. There are a lot of stories, um, which might be surprising to some people who think that um, the stories about him now were original or historical. Now, the very first named person to write about Nimrod was a man named Philo, and he was alive at the same time as Jesus. 
He was an important Jewish philosopher who was living in Alexandria, Egypt. Now, philosophers are people who like to think very deep thoughts because they're looking for wisdom and truth. And Philo tried to find the deep meanings of scripture by combining it with a more Greek way of thinking. Well, Philo looked at the names of Ham and Cush and Nimrod and decided that they were all terrible and that Nimrod must have been the one to build the Tower of Babel because he was a quote-unquote giant, which he said was someone who was warring against God and all heavenly things. To him, that's what a giant meant. So, and Philo said something really hateful and evil and wrong that was going to cause problems later. He said that because Nimrod was the son of Cush, that he should be called the Ethiopian because pure evil has nothing to do with light, but loves night and darkness. What the heck? And he had some really nasty things to say about hunters too, but then, you know, Philo was getting his dinner from the marketplace because he came from a wealthy family and he had servants to prepare everything for him. You know, maybe he thought the meat just got there without any animals needing to be killed for it. But this is the first place I have seen the idea of someone being evil just because they have black skin, you know, in any of the Jewish writings. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. And one of Jesus's earliest followers was an Ethiopian from the court of Queen Candace. And, and that's one of the dangers of combining philosophy with the Bible and looking for symbolism in absolutely everything. Because of what Ham did, which was awful and mean. His son Cush was branded as bad and so was Nimrod. But the Bible says nothing about Cush being good or bad. It just gives us his name. Legends and opinions can lead to a lot of trouble when they're used badly. Imagine how ridiculous it is to think that the color of a person's skin makes them good or bad. You know, we would just have to ignore all the Bible and all of history to believe that. Philo wrote about the Bible, but that doesn't mean that what he wrote is all good. Many people write terrible things about the Bible. The Bible is good for teaching us, but not everything that grown-ups do with it is good. And what he did with it makes me really sad. So many of my friends who I love more than anything in the world have beautiful, beautiful dark skin. And beautiful, beautiful dark brown eyes. And and I just love them. Philo doesn't know them. Or probably anyone. Another person who lived at the same time as Jesus told a really tall tale about Nimrod and the tribe of Ham wanting to build the Tower of Babel uh, along with the tribes of Shem and Japheth. But that Abraham and 12 others refused and were thrown in jail and went... And Nimrod was so furious with Abraham that he threw him in a fiery furnace, but God saved Abraham. And that story sounds a lot like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were thrown in the fiery furnace by Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. But it's about impossible for Abraham and Nimrod to have been alive at the same time. And I think something that important would get mentioned in the Bible, right? Josephus was an important historian who was born a few years after Jesus was resurrected, and he had an entirely different story to tell about Nimrod. He said, the people were provoked to hate God by Nimrod, the grandson of Ham and the son of Noah, a bold man who was fearless and full of energy. 
he convinced them that everything they had was not from God, but because of their own courage and hard work. And little by little, everything became a mess. And he was a violent and cruel king over all of them, believing that the only way to keep people from loving God was by making them depend on him instead. He threatened to have his revenge on God if he ever wanted to flood the earth again. And he would build a tower higher than the water could reach and get revenge for what happened to their ancestors. Wow, those three stories are really different, right? You ain't seen nothing yet. Now, this Nimrod wanted people to follow him instead of God, and they were only building the tower so that God couldn't flood him out again. Guess they didn't really believe in God's promise not to do that again, huh? Not only that, but they wanted the tower to be tall enough so they could attack heaven. And if that was even possible, the angels would totally have kicked their butts. Anyway, the Targums were writings that were very popular in the synagogues around the time of Jesus. And instead of being in Hebrew, like the Bible originally was, or in Greek, because it was translated into Greek once, these were in Aramaic because more people in the countryside spoke Aramaic than Hebrew after the Jewish people came back from their exile in Babylon. Even though some of the stories have been strange so far, this one's even stranger. Out of that land, Nimrod went forth and ruled in Asher because he had not wished to associate with the project of the generation of the divisions, a.k.a. the Tower of Babel. And he left those four cities, and the Lord settled him elsewhere instead, and he built other towns like Nineveh. Okay, so here Nimrod left Babylon because he didn't want anything to do with building the Tower of Babel. And how about this one from 200 years after that? Nimrod was a strong giant before the Lord because he obeyed God's will He waged war on the people in order to spread them out to the areas that God had given them. Therefore, if someone wants to bless a leader or a king, he says, May you become like Nimrod, a strong giant before the Lord, triumphant in the wars of the Lord. Okay, now come on. Is Nimrod a good guy or a bad guy? Obviously, these guys are picking up the idea that the Bible doesn't tell us one way or the other. And someone who lived 800 years after Jesus said that if you wanted to bless a leader, you would say, may you become like Nimrod, a brave hunter before the Lord. The reason he said that was because they believed that Nimrod had tried everything to get the people to stop building the Tower of Babel and tried to drive them away from the city because he hated the Tower of Babel, just like God did. I don't know about you, but all these stories are making me really dizzy. Now, remember how that Targum said that Nimrod was a good guy? Well, later on, the author changed his mind. He wrote, And when Nimrod threw Abraham into the fiery furnace because he would not worship his idol, but the fire wasn't burning him up, Haran, who was Abraham's brother, he wasn't sure which side he wanted to support, so he said, Well, if Nimrod wins, I'll be on his side, but if Abram wins, I'll be on his side. Yeah, gee, thanks, bro. But here we have a story where Nimrod is throwing Abram in the fire for refusing to bow down before his big chocolate bunny. But another Targum says that Nimrod was a hero in sin before the Lord. And and this too, 
He was very mighty as a hunter and mighty in sin before the Lord. And he would trap men by what they would say. And he would say to them, stop listening to Shem and his God and listen to the laws of Nimrod instead. Well, how about this one? It is better to be like Abraham, a young man who was a prophet of God and who knew God when he was just three years old, who would not worship an idol, than to be like the wicked Nimrod who was an old and foolish king. And because Abraham would not worship an idol, Nimrod threw him into the burning furnace and the God rescued him from the fire by a miracle. Even after this, Nimrod didn't learn his lesson not to worship those idols. Abraham went out from the family of idolaters, that means idol worshipers, and reigned over the land of Canaan. And during Abraham's reign, Nimrod lost everything. Now, as we're going to go through the story of Abraham, we're going to see that he was never a king and there's nothing in there even hinting that he ever met Nimrod. Anyway, so now we're going to talk about a huge series of books called the Talmud. And they were written about 600 years after Jesus and they're filled with all sorts of opinions from different rabbis who had a lot of trouble agreeing with each other. But the really cool thing is that they didn't have a problem writing down all these disagreements. But by that point, they were all agreeing on one thing. Nimrod was one bad dude. Isn't it interesting what a difference 500 years can make in changing legends? By this point, they're all pretty much sticking to the story that Nimrod had tried to burn Abraham alive in the furnace because Abraham wouldn't bow down to Nimrod's idols. And as you'll notice when we talk about the Tower of Babel, there isn't anything said about idols or furnaces or anything. 500 years earlier, people were still seeing that there was a whole lot of question marks about Nimrod and about the Tower of Babel, and so they had many different ideas about what happened, which is fine. You know we all like the what-if stories, but there aren't a bunch of what-if stories anymore because there is pretty much only one story that everyone is agreeing on. Now we see stories of God rebuking King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon for being wicked, just like Nimrod who convinced the whole world to rebel against God, they said. But now we're going to get to the funny stories about the magic underwear. And although that seems like a crazy thing to be talking about in stories about the Bible, you need to know about Agadah. You know about the what-if stories, you know, that might have happened, but Agadah is different. Agadah is filled with legends and folklore and sayings and moral stories that were designed to teach people moral lessons. Um... Some of them are just wild, but then every culture has these kind of stories. People know they aren't true, but they're very useful for teaching people the difference between right and wrong, or making people understand confusing commandments by coming up with stories to explain why they might have been given to us. Have you ever heard of the story of the boy who cried wolf? Did it really happen? No, of course not. But is the story true anyway? Yes, if you lie over and over again, sometime when it's really important, people aren't going to believe you. Now, the story may be over the top and silly, but it's a good story. Of course, not all stories are useful, right? The magic underwear stories really aren't very useful either, but, uh, you know, they started to show up in stories about 500 years after Jesus. There are two versions of this story. In one, Nimrod wanted to kill Esau. Esau was the grandson of Abraham, and I don't even believe that Nimrod was alive when Abraham was around, much less his grandson, who was like 
140 years younger. But anyway, the story goes that Esau was an amazing hunter, and the Bible does say that, because he had Adam's magic underwear that attracted the animals to him. And I'm just saying that you have to really wonder how bad that underwear smelled if it was attracting animals. All right. Um, of course, Adam had magic underwear because it was the stuff God made for him. That's what they thought. So, you know, Adam put on his, you know, mystical tidy whities and the critters came a running. Esau inherited them. And so he was able to um, catch anything he wanted. And Nimrod was super jealous because he was a hunter too, just not as good as Magic Undies Boy. In another story, about 300 years later, we see the opposite. Nimrod stole Adam's Magic Undies from Ham, who had stolen them from his father Noah, who had brought them along on the ark. And when Esau saw that Nimrod was such an awesome hunter because of, you know, the panties of power, he got jealous and killed Nimrod. <laughs> and in Sefer Hayasher, which has been unfortunately republished as the Book of Jasher, but was written like at least a thousand years after Jesus, it took about every story ever written about Nimrod and combined them into one big story. And then it added even more. It said that Nimrod was a good Nimrod was a good guy who served God and God loved him and gave him all that success and made him king, but then he turned evil and enslaved everyone and he tried to kill baby Abraham and all sorts of stuff. But then so much of that book disagrees with the Bible, you know, like saying that Shem's son Ashur built all those cities instead of Nimrod. Do you see how legends start out small and get more and more elaborate and complicated and and then people started saying that Nimrod was the man whom the Persians called Zoroaster. He lived sometime between 1500 and 500 years before Jesus, which is way after Nimrod and Abraham were both dead and gone. Now, he's supposed to have invented magic and astrology, which is when you think that the stars and the planets can tell you the future, you know, like those silly horoscopes in the newspaper. Okay. And because fire was very important to Zoroaster, people began to combine the legends about Nimrod with Zoroaster and fire worship and all that jazz. Stories never get smaller, they get bigger. And then came the strangest story of them all. In 1853, almost 200 years ago, and before almost all of the important archaeological discoveries that I've been teaching you about, a minister named Alexander Hislop, who hated Catholics, started preaching some very terrible lies about Nimrod. And some of these might be upsetting, and they upset me, because even though Hislop was a church minister, he was also a terrible racist. He hated people who weren't white. Maybe he thought that the people in the Bible were white. Oh, I don't know where you get that. Because nobody who lives in that area is white now. Jesus wasn't white. Nobody was white. And, and so... His stories about Nimrod are worse than anyone who came before him. He was from Scotland, and slavery hadn't been illegal there for very long, and so he told a story about how Nimrod was a big, ugly, deformed black man. Deformed means that his body wasn't shaped correctly. Now, I have someone I love whose feet are both badly deformed, and... There have been people all throughout history whose bodies haven't looked normal in one way or another, but does that make them bad? No. It has nothing to do with anything, but Hislop wanted people to hate Nimrod as part of his plan to get people to hate Catholics, and 
Catholics or Christians who see things differently than some other Christians, but that doesn't make them evil, and no one should hate them, and no one should lie about them especially, because when that happens, it's the liar who's the evil one. But in those days, there was a lot of hatred between Protestants and Catholics, who were the two main groups of Christians, and between people whose skin was different colors, although it was mostly white people hating everyone who wasn't white. And although we now know better, you know, that those things don't mean anything, that's how Hislop wanted people to see Nimrod, like he wasn't even a human, just like everyone else. And besides, ugly is nothing but an opinion, an opinion that people should keep to themselves, and especially if they're a minister. But to make everyone angry, he said that Nimrod, a black man, was married to a beautiful white woman with blue eyes and blonde hair named Semiramis. Now, it was illegal for white people to marry black people, and it was especially illegal for a black man to marry a white woman because they thought that was just the worst. Can you even imagine? But the other thing that was ridiculous is that Semiramis was a real person who was at least 1,500 years younger than Nimrod. Jesus lived 2,000 years ago, so you can see how long of a time ago that that was. No way they were even alive at the same time, but Hislop was making things up as he went along, and he didn't want people to join the Catholic Church, and he said that Catholics came from Nimrod, and that Semiramis and the Babylonian religion that she and Nimrod supposedly founded, even though she lived in Assyria. And and he knew that most people wouldn't even expect him of lying because he was a church minister, and even if they did, it wasn't like now when we have the internet and books and all the archaeology showing us what life was really like back then. I mean, that's one of the reasons I study so hard. They can't trick me with this stuff. And again, Semiramis wasn't white. She lived where everyone's very, very tan, okay? She definitely didn't have blonde hair, and she definitely didn't have blue eyes, because those are all recessive genes, and there wasn't any time for that yet. Okay, we're not going to do a genetics lesson. Now, Semiramis was really unique in the ancient world. She was a queen at a time when it was actually illegal for a woman to be queen, or to reign on her own. She ran Assyria after her husband died while her sons were growing up. Long after her death, the Greeks began to write these myths about her life because there wasn't a lot of history. The Greeks really made her into a huge deal, and, and you know, she was. I mean, she was the queen, and three of her sons became kings of Assyria before being overthrown. She was responsible for an incredible number of impressive building projects. And how about the son that she and Nimrod were supposed to have, Tammuz? He was a shepherd god, not a human. He was mythical. And, and from all the myths about Tammuz, we know the names of his mother and sister and his wife, and there's no Nimrod and no Semiramis. And for the rest of the stories Hislop told about Nimrod, I'm not even going to talk about them because they are just all lies, and it's too much. Now, believing Hislop's story about Nimrod marrying Semiramis and giving birth to Tammuz is the equivalent of this situation. So Justinian, who was the Holy Roman Empire based in Constantinople 1,500 years ago, so in the 6th century, married Queen Elizabeth II, who is the current Queen of England, and she gave birth to the god Apollo. 
That's 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 what they're talking about here. That's the equivalent timeline and claim. Two people separated by 1,500 years, longer than even they said Methuselah was supposed to be alive, living in different places, marrying and having a god for a kid. A god who's older than his mother, by the way. And the really sad thing is that other people took Hislop's stories and added even more to them. Things that aren't true and could never be true. They even made Semiramis into a goddess. And because people haven't studied the ancient world and don't know the people and how the religion of Babylon worked, they just assume Hislop's lives about, lies about our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ are true. But as we talked about last week, Nimrod is just a guy whom we know almost nothing about. And a lot of people who have heard the legends believe that they're from the Bible or from history or archaeology, but they're not. And for almost 200 years now, a lot of people have been hating and lying about Catholics because of it. You know, my scholar friend who teaches, you know, at, at Bible college, and she writes books, and, you know, and others who are world-renowned experts, none of them teach this stuff because it isn't true, and there's no, there's no evidence about it. Anyway, I love you, and I'm praying for you, and I pray that you have a wonderful week reading the Bible with the people who love you.